All right, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, it's good to see your faces. If this is your first time with us, uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor of New Life East, and it's a joy to be with you uh, this morning in God's house. Powerful worship here, and uh, God's presence is so rich in our midst here. So I'm happy to be with you this morning. I wanna talk to you about something that I think we take for granted a little bit in the church. Uh, I'm gonna talk about worship this morning, and I wanna talk about how our worship when we get together, when we sing praise to God, how that is a sign of the kingdom of God. Look at this text from Mark chapter 16. This is as Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. He's with his disciples one final time. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Verse 17. And these, everybody say it real loud. And these signs will accompany them that believe. And then Jesus goes on to list a whole bunch of signs that will accompany the believing community as they go out and preach the gospel to all creation. So you say, well, Andrew, uh, that's all great and wonderful and everything, but what really is a sign? Like, help me understand what a sign is. Surely you're asking that. Question. It is road trip season. I love summertime for the road trip. How many of you have taken a road trip yet this summer? Have you done one yet? Yeah. Give it up for the road trip. We love the road trip. It's such a beautiful thing. Golf clap for a road trip. You don't like road trips? Man. I love road trips. I love getting out there and hitting the road and stopping at the gas stations and the summertime sun and all that. It's just so beautiful. And one of the things that you see a lot when you're on a road trip is you see a lot of Signs, that's right. And some of those signs are telling us about where we're going, right? Say things like, you know, Denver, 80 miles, or um, Topeka, 200. Nobody goes to Topeka, do they, in the summer? Sorry if you're from Topeka. But the signs, you know, Minneapolis, that way, Des Moines, that way, you know, California, that a direction. So what's a sign doing in that case? The sign is, yeah, it's giving you direction. The sign is pointing to where you're going. But signs can do more than that. A sign also lets you know where you are. So uh, I'm born and raised in central Wisconsin. So every summer uh, we go home to Wisconsin and about a week here we'll hit the road and we'll head up there. And I love getting to Wisconsin. When you cross the Mississippi River, there is this big uh, wooden sign uh, that looks like the state of Wisconsin. And it says, welcome to Wisconsin, as the signs say. Do we have any Wisconsinites in the house this morning? Come on like a critical mass of Wisconsin. We're gonna have revival this morning, amazing. I love that, welcome to Wisconsin. And then it gives you like that sign, gives you these words that like define the ethos of Wisconsin. You know, say like industry, recreation, agriculture, you know, and that's telling you something about where you are. I love coming back to Colorado. See the Colorado sign, welcome to Colorado. And uh, it's colorful Colorado. Right? And so it reminds me, like, I'm in this place, Colorado, that I love so much. The one sign that I really don't understand, and I hate to be offensive to anybody here, but the Nebraska one. <laughs> yeah, so, but that sign, I mean, I believe that it's a great state, but that sign is rough, isn't it? Nebraska, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> the good life, maybe? Doesn't, we don't seem too convinced of ourselves. But the sign, what does the sign do? Signs both pointing to where you're going and it's also letting you know where you are right now, 
right? That's what signs are doing. So it is in the biblical imagination. And so a sign tells us where we're going and a sign tells us where we are. And in the biblical imagination, the signs that God gives to us, they do the same thing. They both let us know where we're going, what kind of a world God is making, but they also signal to us something about what God is doing right now, where we are in this moment. And so I wanna just ask this question this morning, uh, how does our worship reveal God and his kingdom? How does it reveal both where we're going and where we are right now? How does our singing show God? Or maybe to put an even finer point on it and make it even simpler, I wanna ask this question this morning, why do we sing? Why do we sing? Lord Jesus, we're asking that your presence would come and help us. Thank you that you are the teacher, the rabbi, and you're in our midst this morning. You said that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you'd be there, be in the midst of them. And so we pray that you would be in our presence this morning as we are in your presence, teaching us, helping us, instructing us, showing us something of who you are and what you're up to in our midst. Grant these things we say. May the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. When you open the scriptures, you see singing is everywhere in the scriptures. So whatever it is we do when we gather together and we lift up our song to God, this isn't uh, incidental to the life of the people of God. It's actually very central for God's people. Think about this, Exodus chapter 15. People of God have come out of Egypt and there by the Red Sea, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He has hurled into the sea. Verse two, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. So God does a good thing for his people and the people gather together at the Red Sea. And what do they do? They lift up, it's not rhetorical, they lift up song unto the Lord, right? You get to the Psalms, the Psalms basically are just one long song in thanksgiving to God. Think about this, this is Psalm 33, one of my favorites. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It's fitting, it's appropriate for the righteous to praise him. Verse two, praise the Lord with a harp. Like find whatever you can, make music to him on the 10 string lyre. Verse three, sing, sing to him a new song, play skillfully, shout for joy. Four, the word of the Lord is right and true and he is faithful in all he does. Verse five, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Like you're surrounded by the good presence of God. So what are you gonna do? You're going to sing about it. Or think about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter five. Paul writes, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, what are you gonna do? Be filled with the spirit. By the way, when Paul says this, he doesn't mean like be filled with the spirit one time. But the way the Greek is set up is that you be being filled with the Spirit, continually filled with the Spirit in the presence of God. And now watch what happens. He says, the moment you get filled with the Spirit, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna start speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and, oh sheesh, there it is, songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like think about that for a second that the first mark of the filling of the Spirit in the Apostles Paul mind is that we sing. God comes to us and visits us and somehow there is this explosion of gratitude and thanksgiving song erupts from our lips. So I wanna give you three reasons why the people of God sing. Reason number one, we sing because we are happy and we are thankful and we know who to thank. The people of God sing because they're happy 
and they're thankful and they know who to thank. Now, on one level, I think that singing because we're joyful is just kind of something that human beings do. And our family, the Arndt family, summer is like birthday season, lots of birthdays. Uh, my son Ethan turns 16 tomorrow. Uh, my birthday is on Tuesday, turning 28 years old. 41 on Tuesday, I turn 41 Tuesday, birthdays everywhere. And I love birthday season for many reasons, but I especially love birthday season because we sing on the birthdays. And so if you've ever been, like, uh, I, like if you've ever been in our household and we celebrate birthdays, you know that we, like when we sing, we do not necessarily sing good. We do not necessarily sing in key. But the one thing we definitely do when we get together for birthdays is we sing loudly. And I love that crescendo in the birthday song, you know, happy birthday. It's my best Clark W. Griswold impersonation here. <laughs> to you, right? And that, you know, it's just, and it's crazy and I love it. And we do this. Thank you. I appreciate that. Keep your day job, aren't. I love that moment. What are we, we're celebrating that that person is alive. And for me, the singing doesn't stop there because the moment they blow out the candles and we launch right into four, he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, right? We're excited, why this person is alive, it's amazing. We sing, so human beings do. When we were, we were in Denver just this past Friday night at uh, Coors Field and the Lumineers were there, 50,000 people, concerts, you know, and all these people know the lyrics to the songs. And so there's like these moments that happen where like everybody is singing together and there is this profound connection that they all have in the Colorado sky and takes your breath away. This is what we do when we get together. Wedding receptions, you know, or just hanging out in restaurants. Somebody starts up the jukebox or there's music. Everybody, we just say, it's a human thing. We sing. I think about the lines of the great poet Gregory Orr who said, if we're not supposed to dance, if we're not supposed to sing, why is there all this music? We're surrounded by all of it. But I think that for the people of God, it's not just this human thing that we do. We don't just sing because we're happy but we sing because we have somebody to thank. The great G.K. Chesterton said it like this. He said that the worst moment for the atheist is when he is genuinely thankful and has no one to thank. See, for us, we live in the blessing that's all around us at all times, the goodness that's all around us at all times. And when we feel that something rising up in us, we know who to direct it to. We direct it to the... God from whom all blessings flow. And so we say, praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And you'll hear some people say, sometimes, you'll hear them say, well, God, you know, must be some kind of cosmic narcissist, you know? That his people get together, and what he really delights in is them just telling him how amazing and how awesome and how wonderful he is. Like, what a weird God to serve. But I say... That, that is a really profound misunderstanding of what it's like with God. See, the one that we worship when we worship God is we're, we're worshiping the one from whom all of the good things come. And therefore, there is this appropriateness to our giving thanks. I think about uh, my kids over the years when they've done things that are amazing or just outstanding. A lot of times I'll go and I'll get them a little gift card to their favorite restaurant or their favorite thing. And I'll tuck it in a card and I'll put it on their bed and I'll just let them know in that card I'll write, I see you and I love you. God, I'm so proud of you. Keep up the good work. And my favorite moment is like when they get that and they wander upstairs from their bedroom or downstairs from their bedroom 
and they look me in the eye and they go, dad, thank you. I am not being inflated in my ego in that moment. What's happening in that moment? I gave them a gift because I was trying to communicate something to them. I was trying to communicate their value and their worth and their dignity. And I was trying to communicate above all that I love them and that I see them and that I'm proud of them. And so in order to close the loop of that circle of relationship, all I need back, I don't need them to keep track of all the good things that I've done so that they can somehow repay me in some kind of rigid accounting type way. I don't need that. Do you know what I really just need from them? Thank you. And somehow in that moment, if they're saying thanks, the relationship is brought back together again. The relationship is strengthened. The relationship is made new. Do you know that every time we come in here for worship, that's what's happening? That God has been good to us. He's been kind to us. He's sheltered us and he's shaded us and he's fed us and clothed us and provided for us. And so we come in here and you've experienced it. That you come into the house of God for worship and all of a sudden you start lifting up your joy and your song and your gratitude to the Lord and something of his presence begins to steal into your life, your heart. And there is this like coming together between the human heart and the divine heart that strengthens us and makes us alive. Why do we sing brothers and sisters? We sing because we're happy and we're thankful and we know who to thank. And when we say thank you, it closes up that circle of relationship. We're strengthened in our relationship with God. But I wanna to say to you something else, that sometimes when we come into the house of God for worship, we're not just sort of uniformly happy and thankful and buoyant and everything was wonderful. But sometimes when we come into the house of God for worship, uh, we feel broken inside and we're carrying heaviness and pain and hurt. And we're asking hard questions about where God is and what he's up to. And if I went through this thing like this, what does that say about who God is? And so we don't just always come in here happy and thankful. Sometimes we come in here in a different state. Why do we sing then? Number two, I wanna to say to you that we sing in order to inhabit the truest truth. When our hearts are heavy and sad and fearful, we sing not just because we're happy and thankful, but we sing to inhabit the truest truth when our hearts are heavy and fearful and sad. Think about this, what the prophet Isaiah says to the people of God. Isaiah chapter 54, the people of God have just been through this season where their national life was ripped to pieces. The Babylonian army came in and it tore the temple down and it tore the palaces down and set fire to the city. And hundreds of tens of thousands the people of God were hauled off into exile. Their life together, all that they hoped for, was laying there shattered. And Isaiah rises up in the middle of this, Isaiah chapter four, and he says what? I'm gonna, again, not rhetorical. What does he say there? It's right there. Does he tell the people of God? What does he say to do? Sing. And he characterizes them in such an apt way. He says, sing, barren woman. You never bore a child. Burst into song and shout for joy. You who were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband says, well, wait a minute now, wait a minute. Like everything that we longed for has been ripped to pieces, but our national life has been shattered. All that we longed for out of the future, it's laying here in rubble. And now Isaiah, you have the audacity to stand up in the middle of that moment and say, sing, 
Sing, O barren woman, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of who has a... How, Isaiah, how can you say these things to the people of God? Well, where do you get off saying these things to them? And, and isn't it in some ways kind of cruel? Here they are carrying around their grief and their hurt and their anguish. And Isaiah is saying, hey, you better start singing. Why? I, I don't, why? Why? But I think Isaiah has good reasons for saying that. I think that Isaiah knows that the moment you begin to sing, all of a sudden you start to experience hope. The hope that pulls you into the future. Our colleague here at New Life Church, Glenn Packiam, has done some wildly good work in the area of worship. And he did his doctoral dissertation looking at how our worship as the people of God inspires hope. And so one of the things that he did is he started looking at, okay, in order to experience hope, uh, what are the things that people need to experience? Like what are the ingredients that go into hope? And he discovered two things. That if you want to have hope, hope really is the addition, it's the putting together of two things. You can put the next slide up on the screen. Hope is agency plus pathway. Everybody say agency. And say pathway. And hope is agency and it's pathway. You're like, this is a lot of thinking for the morning, Aren't? Can you just help me out a little bit? Yes, I'm going to give it to you. Hope is agency plus pathway. What do we mean by agency? Agency is the ability to do something about your situation, okay? I still have something I can do. I have agency. I can make a difference in this thing in front of me. So it's agency, right? Agency is what we can do. It's our ability to change the situation in front of us, number one. But it's also pathway that I know how to change this situation in such a way that I get the outcome that I want. So let me give you an example. Your health is in shambles in some way. Maybe uh, you have more, you're carrying around more weight on your body than you want to, or something's gone wrong in your body. And so you know that if I do X, Y, and Z, I can arrive at a place of good health, or your finances are in shambles. So you sit down with a financial planner and they, okay, they go, okay, you, you're bringing in this amount of money, here are the things that you can do to put your finances back in order. We have lots of places in life where we experience this. We have agency and we have pathway and therefore we feel hope that we can turn the situation around. It's going to actually, it's going to turn out good. It's not going to be awful like this all the time. But there are times that you're facing the thing that's really quite insurmountable. And no amount of agency and no amount of hope are going to turn, or no amount of agency and no amount of pathway are going to turn the situation around, right? You have a medical diagnosis that all of a sudden looks like you've run into a brick wall. Or something happens in a relationship that you've exhausted all of your effort and all of your agency to try to fix, and it's not quite turning around. Or you look at something that's going on, maybe there's something that you've got an errant pathway, or you're stuck in an addictive pattern. And you try and you try and you try to make the thing better and you still can't make it better. What happens when you hit that point where agency and pathway no longer work for you? Hope starts being diminished. So here's the thing that happens in worship is that we take agency and we take pathway and instead of locating them in ourselves, where do we locate them? Again, not rhetorical. Where do we locate them? In God. And so we go, God, I don't know what to do about this thing. But I don't know what to do about this relationship. I don't know what to do about this diagnosis. I don't know what to do about the dead end that I've come to in this business. We don't know what to do about, for instance, our country or our community. We're out of options here. But somehow what we do is we go, we're putting our eyes on you. We're putting our hope in you. 
We're saying that you're the one that has all of the agency and you're the one that has all of the pathway. And therefore we experience, the word starts with the letter H, hope. That's how worship does that for us. Think about all the times that you've come in here into the house of God for worship and you felt like you were at a brick wall and there's something about naming the name of Jesus. There's something about declaring who God is as the Lord of all. All of a sudden you start feeling hope begin to arise in your hearts. So think about, oh man, I, can, I could talk to you for days about moments where this has happened for me. I think about a dark season that Mandy and I were in one time and we came into a worship service. I remember just being in the spot where I just went, I cannot, how are we gonna get through this one? You know, like, Lord, you have been so faithful to us over and over and over again. And we've seen you open doors and move mountains and all of that, but this, this thing just feels like the absolute end of the line. And I went into a worship service and I remember, you know how it is in worship that you have those moments as you're negotiating your way through worship where you're trying to find yourself and kind of lock into like, where am I in this thing? And I remember they started singing the old Jesus culture song. It's you, God, you do miracles. You do miracles. You're the God of miracles. And we started singing this chorus, the God who was and is to come, the power of the risen one, the God who brings the dead to life. You're the God of miracles, the God of miracles. And I remember being in that worship service and I remember just breaking open and weeping before the Lord, laying on my face, thanking God that God was the God of miracles and rising up then out of that worship service. And I'm telling you, I remember walking out of that worship service and back into the situation with my shoulders back and my head held high, believing that I could face it. But here's the thing. Nothing had actually changed about my situation. Nothing changed, not in that moment anyway. And yet on a more significant level, everything had changed because somehow Andrew's heart is hooked again into the truth of who God is. And so I can run back into that situation. And I have no idea how we're going to get through this thing, but I know that God is with me and that he's working for my good. That's what Isaiah is saying to the people of God. Why is it that the people of God can sing when their hearts are heavy and fearful and sad and they're in anguish and everything has fallen apart? They can sing because God is the one who holds the future. And Israel doesn't need to know a thing about how they're gonna to get to the future. And they don't need to exercise themselves unto the future. Do you know what they need to do? They need to sing their way into the future. Brothers and sisters, that's what we do when we come together, is that we keep singing the God who was and is to come, the power of the risen one. We keep singing of the God who came among us in the flesh of Jesus and will return again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And somehow in our singing, we wind up right in the kingdom of the beloved son. And so we sing because we're happy and thankful and we sing to inhabit the truest truth when our hearts are heavy and fearful and sad, but it's not just that. See, worship is not just an adjustment of the mind. It's not just an adjustment of the heart that gets us kind of recalibrated to God because worship actually does do something to our scenario. It actually does do something to our situation. And so I wanna to say to you that we sing to make the power, everybody say power, of the future present to our here and now. We sing to make the power of the future present to our here and now. There's something about worship 
that opens up the door for the right-making power of God to come into our moment and begin to make those things right that sin has made wrong. I think about the great story of Paul and Silas in the book of Acts chapter 16. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. Paul and Silas are in this particular city and there's a girl there that's demon-possessed and she makes a great deal for her slave owners by predicting the future by these demons that she has. And Paul and Silas see her and they go, well, this isn't right. And so they drive the demon out of this girl, which cripples the business of the slave owners. And Paul and Silas are thrown into prison, bound in shackles. And we pick up the narrative here in verse 25 of chapter 16. Scripture says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. And what were they doing? The same one, the apostle Paul, who said, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That Apostle Paul, when he found himself in the deepest place, the darkest place, bound with chains, what is he doing? He's not complaining about his situation. He's not belly aching about his situation, nor is he working on an escape plan with Silas. Hey, Silas, if we wait until the jailer guy is asleep over there, maybe you can go and smuggle the keys somehow, you know, and we can get out. They're not doing any of those things. They're sitting there in this deep, dark dungeon and they're praying and they're singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, what happened? Prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose and Paul and Silas go walking out of that place. Not before, by the way, that all of their listeners, all those hearers, including the jailer and his family are converted and they turn to the Lord. Guys, what I'm saying to you this morning is that Christianity is not just us getting together and rehearsing a bunch of ideas about God. That's not what this is. When we get together, we're not just singing to kind of like remind ourselves of these things, you know, and make sure that we've got kind of our doctrinal ducks in, in order. And that's what we do when we sing. That's not what it's about. When we sing, when we get together, what we're doing is we're accessing the living presence of God. And we're calling the power of God into the presence. Th think about what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 22 and verse three, the psalmist says, yet you are holy, O Lord, you are enthroned where? Would you just think about that for a second? You are holy, O God, you're enthroned where? On the praises of your people. The enthronement of God that we look to at the end of history, by which all of the enemies of God will be put under our feet and God's feet. That moment, the psalmist says, is not just reserved for the end of history, but when does that moment actually happen? It happens when the saints gather for worship, that somehow the enthronement of God takes place and things begin to go into motion. All of a sudden, those things that were stuck are no longer unstuck. Why? Because the power of God is in that space. Think, friends, about all of the times in the Gospels that Jesus was there in the midst of dying and broken humanity. And somehow people began to reach out to him by faith. And all of a sudden that faith began to draw on the power of God. I think about the time that Jesus was going through a crowd and he was healing people and teaching. And there was a woman who came up behind him. She had this issue of blood that the doctors could not fix. And the scripture says that she'd been saying to herself, if only I could touch his garments, I will be healed. Do you remember this story? She goes up behind him in the crowd and she reaches out. She doesn't even touch his body. 
She touches the hem of his garment. And at that moment, Jesus goes, he stops. And he says to his disciples, who touched me? And they go, master, everybody's touching you. They're crowding and pressing all over you. How can you ask that silly question? He says, no, 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 no. I'm not just talking about people kind of bumping up against me. I'm talking about somebody reaching out and touching me by faith. He said, I know that somebody touched me because power has gone out of me. Think about that for a second. Jesus isn't sensibly, even, he isn't even sensibly aware of this woman and her need, but somehow just by virtue of the fact that she reached out to him in faith, it drew something of his power into her situation and it healed her on the spot. Guys, do you understand that that's what's happening when we come into worship? That we're coming here and we're beginning, beginning to sing our songs unto the Lord and all of a sudden faith is waking up in us. And as faith wakes up in us, the power of God starts coming into our situation. When Jesus talks to this lady, do you know what he says to her? According to your faith, it has been done to you. Rise, go in peace, you have been healed. Friends, I don't know what it is about worship. I just know that somehow, well, Jesus said it, that wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, what happens? I am there right in the midst of them. That somehow the living Lord Jesus himself becomes present to our situation and the situation starts to turn. One last story and then I'm gonna take us into a time of response. We're gonna to sing together. There's a guy who comes to our Friday night service here and a few months back, he's a, uh, an Air Force veteran. And when he was serving in the Air Force, he sustained this injury that left him with basically like 15 degrees range of motion in his neck. So like couldn't turn his neck much more than, couldn't turn his head much more than this way or this way in either direction. And he'd had that injury for about 12 years or so, really painful, really frustrating. And he, like the woman with the issue of blood in the gospels, had sought the care of the doctors. So what can we do? Is there anything that we can do to try to fix the neck and chiropractors and doctors? And they just couldn't figure it out. And so he'd got, and he'd sought God in prayer also. God, please heal me and please help me and nothing. The neck is just stuck in place. And he comes to a Friday night service a few months back and the power of God is present. God is on the move that particular Friday service. And the service host, whoever it was, got up that night and said, you know, I just don't know what it is, but I think that God is present tonight among his people to heal them and to deliver them. Like, I think that there's breakthrough in the house tonight. So if you're a person in this house tonight, that needs breakthrough in any way whatsoever. Maybe you need it in your body, maybe you need it in your finances. Maybe you got a relationship that's stuck. I don't know what it is, but if you're in this place and you're stuck in some way, God's power is here to get it unstuck. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? And he said all over the congregation that night, people were raising their hands up. He said, but I didn't raise my hand that night because I prayed about it a ton, you know? And God hadn't healed me. And I thought, well, I don't know, maybe this is just a thing that I'm supposed to accept and kind of move on with my life. He said, but like there was this person in front of me that had their hand up. <laughs> and so I decided to start praying for the person in front of me. He said, and as I'm laying my hands on the person in front of me, praying and saying, God, would you please arise on behalf of this precious son or daughter, whoever it was, would you please arise? He said, I felt all of a sudden, almost like a hand on the back of my neck, this really warm sensation. And he said, it was so profound, like it really truly felt like a hand. I thought somebody behind me was praying for me and it caught me off guard. He said, so I turned around to see who was talking to me and all of a sudden my neck went <laughs> popped and I've got my head turned all the way around. He said, so I decided to test it out to see if I could do it on the other side and sure enough, 
I've got my head turned all the way back around. The full range of motion restored in worship. Give God thanks for that. And he wasn't even seeking it. <laughs> He's just there, exalting God, glorifying God, welcoming God's presence, and then offering himself as a channel for the living presence of God. And somehow it's all healed. He went and saw the doctor. The doctor goes, this is legitimate healing. Full range of motion restored to his neck. Guys, I don't know what your thing is this morning. I don't know what you're stuck in. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're frustrated with. I don't know where it seems like you've come to a dead end. Here is what I know. That we serve the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We serve the one who was and is and is to come. And everything needful for our lives is provided for by his presence. And so when we come, we offer up our worship to him and we find that he's enthroned on our praises and that things start changing. And so friends, would you stand this morning? And now I want you one more time this morning to begin to offer your heart into the Lord and think about what we talked about this morning. Maybe the Lord has been very good to you in this season and you have gratitude that you need to offer to the Lord this morning that you haven't offered. Would you begin to offer it up to the Lord? Thanking him. Scripture says that every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights. Would you begin to thank him for his goodness and his mercy? And, and maybe you're in this place this morning and your heart is heavy and it's fearful and it's sad because you feel stuck and you're not sure what to do and you've exercised your agency, you've done the best that you know how to do to turn the thing around and it's not turning around. I want you to begin to remind yourself who holds your future and maybe you're in this place this morning and it feels like the bottom has totally fallen out and like Paul and Silas, you're in prison. Nothing more that you can do. I want you to begin to exalt the Lord and glorify the Lord. Like Paul and Silas, praying and singing hymns unto the Lord and trust that the power of God is big enough to come in. So here we are, oh God, here we are. The scripture says that you put a new song on our lips, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So this morning we pray, teach us to worship you again. But this morning we pray, teach us to praise again. This morning we pray, teach us to magnify the Lord again. This morning we pray, teach us to exalt the one who holds the heavens and the earth in the palm of his hands. And we say, come, be enthroned in these praises. In Jesus' name. For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. For thou, O
I got a sense as I was praying for you uh, during that time that the Lord was saying there are some in here who are really discouraged in their faith and simply just don't want to reach for the hem of his garment. And I was asking the Lord why, why would that be the case? And I felt him say that there are some in here who have a picture of the way they think I would respond. And you're afraid of that. You're afraid of the way God is going to respond to your circumstance. A.W. Tozer, I love the guy. He has this quote that I think he was a little bit off on. <laughs> he used to say, he says in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, that what a man or a woman thinks about God is the most important thing about that person. And though I think that is important, I don't think that's true because the most important thing about us is not what we think about God, but what God thinks about us. And here's the thing, we, we wrestle with coming to the Lord because we're struggling in our own agency and we're struggling in our own pathway, as Andrew was talking about there. The essence of the table of the Lord is Him saying, your hope is not going to rest in your ability to take care of the situation, your ability to walk it out. It's gonna rest in my body and my blood. This is your hope this morning. When you're afraid of how is God going to respond to your brokenness, he goes, this is how. My body and my blood. And so I wanna encourage you in faith today, brothers and sisters, that on the night our beloved Savior was betrayed, he took the bread and he looked at his followers and he broke it. I'm gonna break that little wafer if you can. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. In other words, I have made the decision in my own agency to make a way for you. So that when you are at the bottom, when you are at the place of ex explicit hopelessness, Instead of looking to yourself, look to me. And he looked at his followers and he said, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So brothers and sisters, in faith, like the woman reaching for the hem of Jesus' garment this morning, let's take the bread together. And likewise, he took the cup. And he said, this covenant is, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood. I've washed you. I've made you whole. I have made you new. My cross is your freedom. My stripes are your healing. Look to me. I am enough. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, in faith this morning, let's take the cup. invite you one more time. Let's go ahead and sing in faith Death with one another. not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you I 
Amen. Can you open your hands with me this morning? As you go from this place, brothers and sisters, may you know that if God is for you, who can be against you? May you know that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. May you be a people who sing, who lift your voice because you know where you are and you know where you are headed. And that is good news. So as you go from this place, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his bright smiling countenance towards you and grant you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us uh, for worship this morning. If it's your very first time, we'd love to meet you at Connect Central right out there. Directly after the service, I'd like to invite our prayer team to come down. If you would like prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. We will see you next week. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you.